0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, the latest show to be called The Next Game of Thrones has debuted this weekend on Netflix. I've got a review of the first season of Shadow and Bone. Plus...
1: I'm Jeff Braun. It's Oscar weekend and we'll take a look at what to expect Sunday night and I'll review two more of the Best Picture nominees. Plus... On
0: the opposite end of the Oscars scale, a new movie is out this weekend for rent that is sure to finish you. We'll tee up the latest film adaptation of
1: Mortal Kombat. And Mortal Kombat will have to wait until next year's Oscars to haul in all its trophies. (laughs) (laughs) Because this weekend is Oscar weekend for the 2020 movies. And this past week, I wrapped up my tour of the Best Picture nominees with the final two. Up first, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield star in Judas and the Black Messiah. America's on fire right now. We can heal this whole city. The Black Bans are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color these
0: ain't no terror when i dedicated my life to people i dedicated my life neutralize him by any means necessary
1: Lil Rel Howery is also in the movie for one scene, so that's like half the cast of Get Out in this one. And the cast is one of the brightest shining spots in a movie I wasn't sure about going in, but I mostly think my hesitancy had to do with the title. For starters, it's not a religious movie, so the movie isn't actually about Judas or a messiah. No, it's about the Black Panther Party in Chicago in the late 60s, set around the same time and place as the trial of the Chicago 7, also nominated for Best Picture. That sort of convergence happens from time to time. It's always kind of neat. I Remember back in the 1998 Oscars, the five Best Picture nominees were Shakespeare in Love and Elizabeth, both of which had Queen Elizabeth I as notable characters, and then there were three World War II movies in Saving Private Ryan, The Thid Ren Line, and Life is Beautiful, all very different from each other, but still born out of the same thing, or you get a thing like we had in 2007 at the Oscars, which uh, featured No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood, Two movies shot at the same time in the same part of Texas. In fact, no country had to quit filming one day because the smoke from the oil well fire scene in There Will Be Blood was messing up the background. You could see it in the back of the No Country for Old Men shots, but I digress. In Judas and the Black Messiah, Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, a car thief who gets caught, and his one hope of avoiding jail is to help the FBI. They want him to infiltrate the Black Panther Party to get information on the Chicago chapter's charismatic leader, Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, played by a gnarly makeup wearing Martin Sheen, is worried that Hampton will come what he calls a black messiah, and so... Hoover Wants the Party Shut Down. That's where the title comes from. It's based on a true story. The Black Panther Party was one of many organizations to rise during the civil rights movement in the United States and was notable because they were quite militant against the police. So obviously the film is quite politically charged. I was going to mention that it's, you know, topical given the George Floyd news this week. But honestly, race relation movies are always topical in the US, so that's not really a surprise. What did surprise me about the movie is that it's not just some civics lesson or a dry messy movie about heavy, important themes. It's also quite entertaining. There's a lot of great cat and mouse with Stanfield undercover with the Panthers. Will he get found out? Will he become so ingrained that he'll turn on the FBI? And there's real suspense and a terrific performance from Stanfield, who is, you know, very quite conflicted about what he ought to be doing. On the one hand, of course, he doesn't want to go to jail. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to help the FBI arrest or do something worse to his friends. Great stuff from Stanfield, who is quickly becoming an actor that I get excited about just seeing his name in the credits for any movie, even if he doesn't have a lot to do like in Knives Out. So he might not win the Oscar on Sunday, but I think one day he will be accepting an Oscar. Daniel Kaluuya, on the other hand, seems like a lock to win on Sunday. He's been winning all the other awards, and it's easy to see why. He disappears into this role. It's a delight to watch. Um, I mean, a charismatic leader who is very good at giving speeches. Actors just relish that sort of a thing, and Kaluuya makes the most out of a very meaty role. And by the way, both Stanfield and Kaluuya nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category, which leaves one to wonder who the lead actor in the movie is. Apparently, nobody. Uh, Stanfield campaign for best actor but the voters at the academy can apparently just put actors in whatever category they want when they're filling out their nomination ballots so both guys ended up in supporting actor i'd also mention that jesse Plemons is in the movie he plays the fbi agent who deals with lakeith stanfield Clemens does that Plemons thing where he's very soft-spoken and seems like a nice normal person but is actually a creepy, horrible monster. That seems to be his favorite lane, and it's always kind of freaky to behold. Overall, yeah, the subject matter is pretty heavy, and that might turn some people off. But like I said, the movie's also quite entertaining. It doesn't feel like a lecture or anything like that. It's also impeccably made. It's nominated for cinematography. It's gorgeous-looking and gorgeous-sounding. The set design is terrific and all that. You know, like, It's just authentic to the time period to the degree... It's frankly astonishing. I, it, it only occurred to me like when the movie was wrapping up. I was like, oh my God, this movie looks so good. So four couch cushions out of five for Judas and the Black Messiah. Brett, it's available on demand to rent right now. What did it cost you? I believe it was 15. It was either 15 or 20.
0: Okay, that's not bad.
1: Yeah. That's not now, bad. Now, When we get to this one here, this one costs $25 and it's a good movie, but that's pretty steep. And if you're watching it by yourself, I'd say maybe wait a couple months till the price comes down. Last but not least, finishing my best picture run by watching The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937.
0: You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris. You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. Paris. They don't even speak English there.
1: What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out.
0: Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat.
1: Isn't it? Based on a play, The Father's the Story of an Elderly Man with Dementia and his daughter, and how both of them are trying to cope with the situation. It's mostly told through his perspective, which means a lot of the time, We, the audience, are not quite sure what is real and what is not because he confuses people, places, things, and time, much like Sound of Metal. The movie takes the point of view and puts us in the shoes of the character to better understand what it might actually be like to be going through that. And as you can imagine, it can be pretty painful. Many of us know full well how painful it is when a loved one doesn't recognize you. But for the loved one, it can be distressing because to them, it seems there's suddenly a stranger in their house or something like that. The, this movie has a lot of that. It has a lot of circular conversations, repetition, but by different characters in different contexts, all adding to this overwhelming feeling for Hopkins, not being able to always grasp his reality. And he does a magnificent job. We all know Anthony Hopkins is a great actor, but I was still a little surprised by how good he is in this. It's definitely high on the list of his best performances. Uh, And his performance is really 85% of the movie. It's mostly set in in the flat that he was talking about there in an apartment. But Olivia Colman delivers a strong performance as well as the daughter who's frustrated but trying to deal with the situation. And now you'd expect the movie to... you know, sort of be straightforward and most takes on this subject matter would be, but the father really chooses a unique path with the unreliable narrator style of storytelling where we have to try to piece the truth together throughout the movie and our suspicions or theories are really only fully confirmed or denied at the end, if even then. Um, I, I watched it last night and this morning a few times I caught myself trying to think about, wait, was that part what I think it was or was it that other thing and stuff like that. It sticks with you and I think uh, a rewatch on this one would actually go a long way to answering a lot of questions. It's very engaging in that way which is good because as I said it's based on a play and that's often a major stumbling block for movies because most plays are just people talking with relatively little action compared to what we're used to with a movie. I wish I paid more attention to the set design as well because it is intricate and I have a feeling that they put a lot more work into that than they're going to get credit for. It's something to keep note of uh, uh, while you're watching, if you've not seen it yet, it's a gorgeous set of a, a London apartment. There's not much else you can really say because to fully explain even the setup of the movie is sort of spoilery. And like I said, the Hopkins performance is by far the main draw. Um, this one, I think, is a must-see. Now, like I said, it costs $25 to rent, so y- y- you must see it, but you don't have to see it right away. You could wait a while on this one if you don't want to chill out that much. But four couch cushions out of five for The father.
0: So Jeff Braun completes his best picture run, and in a Woo! moment we will break down the Oscars happening this Sunday. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and the Oscars go Sunday night. The whole world is watching. That's all right, I mean, it won't me these are stories of men and women very much like you.
0: We are fighting for our lives. That's the real magic of the movies. Power to the
1: people.
0: I will bring honor to us all.
1: That dramatic. And the Oscar goes to... Thank you so much.
0: Once upon a time in Hollywood, he tells the truth.
1: The Oscars, live Sunday, April 25th on ABC. And of course, like every other award show of the past year, it's going to be a little different. Last year's Oscars were in late February. They got in just under the wire before the pandemic. So it's the first go at a COVID clouded ceremony for the Academy. Unlike most other award show, this is not going to be a Zoom event, but it will be held across a couple of different locations in LA and around the world. I'm not certain, but there will be a satellite hall of some sort in London where the British nominees will be, that sort of thing. It's being produced by Steven Soderbergh, A-list director of such films as Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, and the Ocean's Eleven Trilogy. And he said this ceremony will be more like a film than a TV show, so we'll find out what that even means Sunday night. It's all shrouded in secrecy like they like to do. The only thing we really know is that, once again, there will be no hosts this year, which is fine because that'll spare me having to listen to people who immediately say the hosts sucked even though they're almost always fine. I'm not sure what people expect. It is of a thankless job as for the winners there might be a couple of surprises but given the other award ceremonies it does seem like there's a few locks most notably for best pitcher and best director both of those are expected to go to Nomadland and its director Chloe Zhao pretty sure they've won everything they've been eligible for this year and I don't have a problem with it. If I had a vote, I'd probably throw it to No Man Land as well. It's an impressive piece of filmmaking, even if it's not something I'm likely to rewatch a bunch of times. And that's basically the story this year. It's a crop of really good films, but there is nothing I can see myself returning to anytime soon. Part of that might be the pandemic. Some movies that should have come out last year simply have not yet been released. Most of them are blockbusters that wouldn't be at the Oscars anyway, but some others, like Steven Spielberg's West Side Story or Wes Anderson's the French dispatch, for example, could, you know, plausibly be in the race. So sometimes you also just get years that aren't really that great. Certainly when you compare this year to last year, Ugh, yikes. I have three of last year's nominees sitting on my shelf amongst the Blu rays in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women, and Ford versus Ferrari. And one day when I'm feeling rich, I'll get the Criterion Collections Parasite. All those movies have me walking out of the theater in amazement at how wonderful they were. This year's list, not so much. Again, they're all good, they're just not really great. um So let's look at some other awards. The acting awards appear to have some locks amongst them, especially. Best Supporting Actor, which we talked about a little bit in the previous segment, Daniel Kaluuya, winning multiple awards for Judas and the Black Messiah. Probably the lock, he's up against Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago 7, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Paul Ratsy from Sound of Metal and Lakeith Stanfield also from Judas and the Black Messiah. The Best Supporting Actress Award seems like a foregone conclusion as well with Minari's Ye Jung Yoon the heavy favorite. She's up against Borat's Maria Bakalova. Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy. Glenn Close still doesn't have one, so there might be a surprise there. Olivia Colman in The Father and Amanda Seyfried in Mank. The best actor race coming down to two guys with Chadwick Boseman of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom expected to win over Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Hopkins won the BAFTA a a couple of weeks ago, though, so maybe the tide is turning his way, but I do also think it would be kind of weird for them to reward him instead of the late Boseman at this point. Hopkins already has an Oscar anyways, but I mean, weirder things have happened. And honestly, if there's an upset, and there's often one upset in the acting co- categories, I would look for Riz Ahmed from Sound of Metal to be the sneaky underdog to pull off a win. And the other nominees are Gary Oldman in Mank and Steven Yun in Minari. The Best Actress category may be the most exciting because it feels like it's actually wide open. The nominees being Viola Davis from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andrew Day from the United States versus Billy Holiday, Vanessa Kirby from Pieces of a Woman, Francis McDormand from Nomad Land, and Carrie Mulligan from Promising Young Woman. And Davis, McDormand, Day, and Mulligan have each won at least one prestigious award this award season. So it really is anyone's game. Viola Davis has a supporting actress trophy, but never won Best Actress, and she really should at some point. So maybe this is her time. She she I think she'll be the one I'm rooting for. Andrew Day turned heads as jazz great Billie Holiday and won the Golden Globe, so it wouldn't be a shock to see her win. Carrie Mulligan, always solid, and she owns Promising Young Woman, like Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Promising Young Woman doesn't work without Carrie Mulligan, so she might have a shot at it as well. And then, of course, Frances McDormand is one of the True all-time great. She has two Oscars already, and the last one came just a couple of years ago, so I'd sort of be surprised if she got her third so soon. But again, I wouldn't be surprised because she's phenomenal in Nomadland. Too close to call that category, but if I have to root for somebody, I think I'm going to root for Viola Davis. Um, But it's good to not have everything locked down because it'll provide some excitement Sunday night. So those are the main categories, Brett. And uh, it's like I said, I'm not really hauling too hard for any of these movies it's not the best movie year but um there's some there's really good movies there and i'm curious mostly curious just to see what kind of a show they put on
0: i'm ashamed to admit that i have not watched any of the uh best picture nominees just trying to go back through them all here and i don't think any of them i've been tempted to watch Nomad Land on disney but uh I guess this is basically what we do every year. You see all the Oscar <laughs> movies, and uh, I typically don't. I used to. There was one year, the first year when they went to 10, nomina- ten nominees, I yeah. went out of my way to watch them all. And it was exciting, but it was also exhausting and expensive because yep. I think six of them were playing in theaters at the same time. And I just found this like, even though I had just finished one. I still felt this like sort of weight on my shoulders is, okay, I've got five more of these I got to watch. And that was a lot of popcorn in a short amount of time too. So I I gained some weight because I can't stop myself (laughs) because I am a child. In a moment, we're going to tell you about the video game that is being turned into a movie once more. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, I'm going to tell you about the new show on Netflix that is The latest show to be called The Next Game of Thrones And I'm going to tell you about Kate Winslet's Tour of Misery That debuted last week on Crave That's not what it's called That's just what I'm calling it Because wow, it is depressing But there is a movie out this weekend That I'm excited about But I'm also skeptical Because movies based on video games Are never that good But this one looks pretty cool It's a birthmark What do you mean? He was born with it Mortal Kombat. Get over here. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. Just hearing Scorpion say, Get over here, gives me goosebumps. This video game was huge, huge in the 1990s. I loved playing this video game. It was such a controversial video game, too, because it was violent. There was blood. You could kill people. My gosh, the horror and it was adapted into a movie in the 1990s mid 90s but it was the violence was scaled down and uh as a result it kind of left it flat but it is still a cult classic and the song that came out of it this particular song by the immortals is also a beloved cult classic and I like how they incorporated the tune from this song into the trailer so because of course movie theater is still not really a thing in canada this is a premium video on demand rental in canada for 25 bucks so i think i might have to shell this out because it looks cool i don't know i don't care what the story is doesn't matter it's no one watching this movie is watching it because oh yeah that story looks great i'm compelled to know the plot no they want to see fatalities because this is an r-rated almost nc-17 movie jeff one of the actors actually the main star lewis tan he plays the main character sidebar i'm really excited to see him get a starring role he was the guy did you ever watch iron fist on netflix
1: Nope, I, I jumped out before that one because everyone said, well, you said it was terrible. So I was like, good, then I don't have to start it. Okay.
0: Well, there's a, this Louis Tan. He played a very small role. He played this like drunken master, but he land, he made a huge impression on screen. He had tons of charisma and he was an actual martial artist. He had actually auditioned for the role of Iron Fist. And uh, there are a lot of people who are mad that he didn't get it. So it's good to see him getting a starring role here because I think he's great. But he said there was a moment where he walked onto set after a fatality had been delivered. Uh, Just the way the set was dressed and the makeup and the guts and whatever. He almost threw up. So if you watch Mortal Kombat, be prepared for something ultra, ultra violent. I can't wait. So maybe I'll have a review for you next week. But now... I am very excited to tell you about this new show debuting on Netflix. Well, it has debuted this weekend, Shadow and Bone. summon is this true can you summon light she's real Okay, so Shadow and Bone, it's an eight-episode series. It's based on a series of books. There are three books, I believe, and I'll just read the official description here. Uh, best-selling, based on Lee Bardugo's worldwide best-selling verse novels, Shadow and Bone finds us in a war-torn world, where lowly soldier and orphan Alina Starkov has just unleashed an extraordinary power that could be the key to setting her country free. With a monstrous threat of the Shadow Fold looming, Alina is torn from everything she knows to train as part of an elite army of magical soldiers known as Grisha. But as she struggles to hone her power, she finds that allies and enemies can be one and the same, and that nothing in this lavish world is what it seems. There are dangerous forces at play, including a crew of charismatic criminals. And it will take more than magic to survive so when i first watched the trailer for this i thought that looks cool and then having watched it honestly it's one of the coolest shows i've seen in a long time and i sort of understand the comparison to game of thrones in the sense of its scope in the sense of the the mixed bag of genres because this one, it's a fantasy show, but there's political intrigue. There's, like, Western-style gunslinging. Uh, there's a whole wide variety of costumes that uh, you won't find in any other show. And uh, on one hand, there's this Alina's Journey. She's just a map maker. She's a cartographer for this Ravkin army. Ravka, by the way, is loosely based on Russia. And uh, she learns that she has this power. These magical soldiers—they, they—they all have sort of specific powers. Like some of them, uh, they're called heart renders. They can essentially control your heart. Like they can calm you down by touching you, or they can reach out like Darth Vader and with their hand and crush your heart from the inside out, which is scary. Some of them uh, control the air, so they can use the they can push a skiff. Like if a skiff needs a sail, they can just create the air. So that's cool. And there are others who do other things, but she is the sun summoner, the only one who can command light, which is what they need because there's this thing called the fold. So just imagine wherever you are, just looking out and seeing across you know look out like i'm i'm on the 30th floor of the building i'm at right now so instead of being able to see out into the city all i would see is this big black wall of cloud that goes up for a mile and it just cuts across like ev- as far as i can see that's basically what it is it's a giant black cloud that goes from the ground up and uh, it's it stretches for miles within and there are monsters that live inside it and They're trying to find a way to tear it down, and they think she is the key. So everybody is trying to get a piece of her, including the three charismatic criminals they talked about. So they sort of... They kind of mix in this little heist element into this otherwise larger scope thing. And Ben Barnes plays the charismatic general. He actually played Logan, Jeff, in uh, Westworld. Hmm. So you kind of wonder, is he good? Is he bad? And he's interesting because his power, they call him the Darkling, he can control darkness. He can summon shadow. So there is a good contrast between him and Alina. So, uh, and another thing worth pointing out too, an incredibly diverse cast. So they should be commended for that. So this show, honestly, I don't even know what to describe it as other than Good. I'm thankful that Netflix gives us this preview access because I very much enjoyed watching it and I'm excited to recommend it to you. I'm going to give that first season, I think, four and a half couch cushions out of five. I highly, highly recommended. Super fun. It does, It. It. unlike Game of Thrones, which was aimed at a more mature audience with its violence and sex and swearing and stuff, this is a bit more friendly for, for I wouldn't say all audiences, but uh, definitely I think you know, kids on the older age of the spectrum could would probably get a kick out of this. Some scary stuff for the little kids, but yeah. And so that's out on Netflix now. And I also just want to quickly mention this show. It's called The Mayor. It's called, not The. It's just Mayor of Easttown. Not Mayor. Mayor, M-A-R-E. Kate Winslet stars as Mayor in this show that started last week on Crave.
1: I want to thank everyone for joining
0: us to celebrate the proudest moment in East Town sports history. And finally, Miss Lady Hawk herself, Mayor So that So that all sounds well and good. She's a town hero. She sunk the winning shot for the team to win the state championship some 25 years ago. But now she is a grumpy, divorced cop. And wow, is she miserable. She is so miserable in this east town Pennsylvania and just like you meet more characters and all of their lives are depressing and the people in their lives are bad and bad things happen and inevitably it becomes a murder mystery I would suggest because I liked it I really liked it but it was so depressing (laughs) I almost had to turn it off at one point I thought are you kidding like this is the worst case scenario for what I would want to go through in that situation. It was just cringeworthy and so painful to watch. But if you watch the trailer, there is a detail in that that could, that actually would give away who dies, who is the murder victim. Thankfully, I watched the trailer like two or three weeks ago, and so by the time I watched the episode, I forgot all about the trailer. I couldn't remember anything specific about it or specific characters. So when the murder victim was revealed... I was surprised and I was extra sad. So that's my recommendation and I also recommend that you watch it. You can catch up on demand new episodes of the seven episode series air on Sundays on Crave. Is that something you think you might uh, like? i yeah, would look up you like, you like Kate Winslet,
1: don't you? Love Kate Winslet. I love uh stories about people who are miserable and or like like misery porn. I love that's right up my alley for some reason. So I actually I I've wanted to watch it this week. I didn't get around to it, but yeah, I'm definitely interested in it and I think I'll check it out. Um, I've seen it compared to uh, that show Broadchurch. I know you watch both iterations of that. Does that sound right?
0: This one is a little bit different. That one was a bit more introspective. This one is just so far, most of the main characters are sad and grumpy and, yeah, and this, <laughs> the this setting is bleak, whereas Broadchurch actually had kind of a beautiful and haunting setting. So, yeah, But yeah, okay. that's a, that's a, it's in that ballpark, right? Like, it's not a happy show. It's a good show. Right. It is not happy. You will not le- watch it and go, all right, so uh, lollipops and rainbows. <laughs> in a moment, though, there is a show that debuted on Earth Day that might make you feel like lollipops, and certainly rainbows will tell you what David Attenborough's got up his sleeve next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Almost forgot to tell you, we teed it up last week, but I went home immediately on Thursday. So before our show even aired on the radio, I had watched this, but we had already recorded it, so I couldn't tell you about it. So I'll just quickly tell you now about Nobody. For 12 years, I worked for some very dangerous people. Everybody get to the basement. What is happening? Don't call 911. I used to be what they call an
1: auditor. The last guy anyone wants to see at their door. Because it meant you didn't have long to live.
0: Bob Odenkirk, a.k.a. Saul Goodman, stars as a man who's just trying to live a quiet, normal family life, but eventually his violent past comes back to the fore, and it's basically like John Wick. Keanu Reeves starred in that one as a guy who tried to leave his violent past behind, but he couldn't leave it in the past forever, and he goes on a killing spree. That's essentially what happens here, although it's more of a defending spree, like he's just trying to defend himself uh, and make sure that the bad guys don't take him and his family out. And it's... Very creative. I would You can c- probably call it a John Wick light in the sense that it's not quite as violent and it's not quite as serious or dark, but super creative. Like, it actually had Home Alone-style booby traps in the final <laughs> battle scene. And Christopher Lloyd... Getting to see Christopher Lloyd with a shotgun was amazing as well. So I had a lot of fun watching this. It's again, it's a premium video on demand rental, 25 bucks. But if you like action movies, you like Bob Odenkirk, and you like some light, some sort of dark humor along the way as well, I think this is worth checking out. Also, a new show debuted on Netflix uh, on Thursday, on Earth Day. you can experience a world that has long been hidden from our eyes by watching Life in Color with David Attenborough.
1: Animals can use color for all kinds of different reasons. Whether to win a mate or beat a rival to warn off an enemy or to hide from one.
0: To understand how these colors work, you need to see them from an animal's perspective. With new cameras developed especially for this series. Now we can. And I watched the first episode of this, and it is spectacular. It's only three episodes, and I think it's actually only two primary episodes, Seeing in Color and Hiding in Color. And then there's a third episode called Chasing Color, which looks like by the description that it's a making of. I've only watched uh, one of the three. But, yeah, it's cool. And David Attenborough, he actually conceived this show in the 50s. He wanted to do a documentary delving into nature's use of color back then, but most screens were black and white. So the concept was shelved. And now here we are in 2021 where a show is possible, where they can create these cameras to spot the hidden colors on the animals, whether it's like ultraviolet or, uh, you know, the cameras that can sort of see through polarized light. It was cool. It was so cool. So colorful. And he actually appears on camera from time to time. There's a scene where he's holding like a, a branch full of berries as these toucans are eating off of it. Like, what a job! Were you standing there, and and there's a couple of toucans just eating berries off of it in front of you. So if you like his stuff... And I know you were one of the first people I knew, Jeff, to watch the very first season of Planet Earth, right?
1: Yeah, that, that really blew me away. And that was... Like, I've got that on DVD. Like, that's not even a high-resolution show, but it was still just spectacular, The 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 look of it all the cinematography and the shots they got so it's nice that they keep doing it over and over again and it sounds like they're inventing their own cameras that's that's a james cameron move uh david attenborough's like george lucas or james cameron or whatever he's like gets these ideas and he's like we've got to invent the technology so my movie or my show can come to life If you want to
0: watch it, it's on Netflix now. By the way, just a quick mention, two cool trailers debuted this week, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in the Conjuring Universe. The Conjuring, the proper threequel, The Devil Made Me Do It. Both awesome trailers. Check them out. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother